You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our current sponsors, uh, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. As you well know, if you've been following This is Oklahoma, they've been a huge part of this podcast. So this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Also, for the podcast, a new sponsor this year that's just come on board and super excited to announce RCB Bank. Since 1936, RCB Bank has offered progressive products and a friendly service. Come in today to find out more about their loan promotion on new used refinance cars, boats, campers, and ATVs. Visit RCB Bank to learn more. RCB Bank, that's my bank. With approved credit, restrictions apply. Now, let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down at Oklahoma DHS today with Justin Brown, uh, who has many titles. I'm going to have him introduce himself and tell you who he is and what he does. Um, But yeah, looking forward to to sharing some stories today and talking a little bit about everything that is important and the stuff that you do every day. Thanks for for having me down here. Well, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so you mentioned titles. Just a couple. Uh, So I'm director for the Department of Human Services here in the state of Oklahoma. And uh, became my first day for the agency was June of 2019. And then in March of 2020, the governor duly appointed me as cabinet secretary for human services. So honored yeah. to serve in those capacities. Congrats. That's a, that's a nice thing to work towards, right? Have well, thank you very on. much. It's a, It uh, definitely is a calling. No yeah. question about it. Awesome. So before we get into like the crux of everything and what we're building towards this year and this month, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, and I guess why. You know, what got you into doing what you do today? Absolutely. So um, I grew up in Oklahoma City. Um, started uh, dating my wife in high school at Bishop McGinnis High School, and uh, all through uh, college at Oklahoma State. Lived in Tulsa for one year. I was a I was a banker for uh, for eight years. Lived one year in Tulsa, and then the remaining seven in Oklahoma City, where I did healthcare finance, and uh, left November one of two thousand eight. Uh, from the banking world and and started a senior housing company where we mm-hmm. owned and operated assisted living and memory care communities in three states, Oklahoma, Texas, and Colorado. So was blessed to care for those with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia every yeah. day. And so that was, of course, a deep connection for me with the Department of Human Services because mm-hmm. we run aging and adult protective services for the state of Oklahoma. And then all throughout that, for 20 years, I was involved with nonprofits yeah. uh, all around kids. So that was um, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, Children's Hospital Foundation. Foundation, uh, Oklahoma City Zoo, just any time that I could get involved with an organization that was right. serving kids, I was I was all in. So yeah. uh, governor called me or the transition team called me in April of 2019 um, asking if I had an interest in serving the state. <clears throat> I said, um, no, I'm good. Thank you. Um, but they said, hey, if you're 1% interested, we should talk again. Yeah. And so I talked with a number of folks for uh, 10 or 12 days, and and actually I had never met the governor uh, before that phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I had a conversation during the campaign, and uh, he asked for a contribution, and don't tell him, uh, but I, uh, he may not remember, but I told him no because I was supporting his opponent. <laughs> and uh, so, Great uh, way to start so, the relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So definitely no uh, yeah. personal connection prior to, yeah. to that first phone call. But uh, about 10 days after that first call, uh, we met in person over a cup of coffee and talked mm-hmm. for 
an hour and a half about culture and philosophy and what yeah. he was trying to do at the state of Oklahoma. And it really just aligned with so many of the philosophies that I hold personally. And, uh, you know, within uh, just a few days, he said, you're the guy. And, and uh, I said, listen, if you tell me, no, I'm good. Um, but if you tell me yes, and I tell you no, I'll think about it every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I don't have anything like that. And fortunately, he called me a couple of days later, like I said, and said, you're the guy. And yeah. exactly 60 days after that first phone call to the day was my first day at the Department of Human Services. It's yeah. been just an unbelievable opportunity. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, just, it, I guess, what got you into, because it, it, not many people that I know very special people go down the helping and care route, right? And just the need to and the need for, to self-fulfill themselves with giving back. And it seems like this is something you've just done your whole life, right? You do, it's not, you know, with the Boys and Girls Club and, and I'm sure growing up in high school, giving back, like, where does that come from? Is that like mom and dad? Is that family stuff? Sure. Or is that something that, you know... That's a great question. Um, for me... Um it certainly has a, a family, familial relationship component to it, yeah. for sure. Um, I'm a man of faith also, and so I believe that, um, that we have an opportunity to serve uh, those around us. And it's, and it's as much an opportunity as it is an obligation that, mm-hmm. you know, for whom, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so um, it just has always been sort of um, just with something that, that I've, I've always just done. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, a, a full life for me means, uh, you know, improving the lives of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I, I've said this many times on the podcast. If people haven't given back yet, and when they do for the first time, they almost get more out of it personally than you do giving to the person that you give because it's like, it's just super self fulfilling, isn't it? And it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word of it, but you, you just get like it's almost unfair how good you feel by giving back, right? It can feel selfish. Yeah, that's it right. Really selfish can. is the right Yeah, it really thinking. can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you have to, of course, balance that part of your life with every other part of your life. The, the biggest issue, I don't know if it's issue, but concern that I've had um, being here is really what I refer to as opportunity cost of my time. Mm-hmm. Because uh, my family is the most important thing in my life. But, but um, honestly, when you sit and you weigh the time spent with your family versus, you know, building a program here at the agency that can serve tens of thousands of kids and taking that hour to devote to the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. that's really important. Your family's really important too. And yeah. so that's been the hardest. Uh, honestly, I thought it was going to be something different. I, I thought the most difficult thing was going to be um, this, uh, you know, this idea of, of what you see, you know, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're in this seat, you experience things and you yeah, see things yeah. that you would never want to see or even know that occurred. And that's not really the most difficult thing. The most mm-hmm. difficult thing is, is making sure to preserve that balance. Right. Because if you let yourself, you could go all in all day, all the time. Yeah. And uh, that's just not healthy. Right. I mean, to that point with family, you know, like I'm sure that affects the way that you make decisions with what you do now with, as a director, right? So what is it like, you know, being having, you know, being a father, having a family, and then relating to all the decisions that you're making? You know, as a director, certainly challenging. Uh, you have to bring your family into those decisions and those mm-hmm. conversations. Not the not the, with the things that you're building at the agency, but um, build them into the work. You know, I, even before starting, I mm-hmm. sat with both of my kids, and and actually, I say it all the time. 
probably the greatest single conversation I've ever had in my life with another human being was with my 10-year-old daughter when I was talking to her about taking this opportunity. And we sat down at a Chili's right before, uh, you know, or actually right after I picked her up from dance. And we sat there for an hour and a half, and we talked about what DHS was and the work that we do. Mm-hmm. And this is before I accepted the position. And I just wanted to bring her into the conversation because I didn't yeah. want this to op- – I knew this had the potential of really de- uh, devouring all of my time mm-hmm. and my mental capacity. And so um, I wanted her to know that if there was a sacrifice to mm-hmm. be made, that we were all making this together. Yeah. And, and, and coming in, is there anything you thought about DHS that just like it was a stigma or wasn't true? Like, you know, because everyone, all we see about DHS, right, is media or bad stuff in the news or whatever it is, right? You don't never see like the, all the amazing great stuff and Absolutely. the consistency of great stuff, sadly, because, you know, media has got to drive their view or whatever, but sure. what are the things that kind of, I guess, stood out to you that, that you thought would have been true that just wasn't? Yeah, so um, a couple of things come to mind. <clears throat> the first is, uh, so I've been here 22 months, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, my understanding of this agency was purely driven about what I, by what I saw in the news, period. And within, within days, it was very clear that the truth is completely different Mm -hmm. than what you see on the news. Um, yes, there are bad things that occur, but it is, it is because we deal with humanity. You know, the stories that you hear and you understand, um, the agency is responding to those things, yeah. right? And and the human condition is is one that is so complex. There are incredible components to the human condition, and then there are just there's evil mm-hmm. in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that's what you see on the news because that's the story that I mean it should be told. I mean I have no no issue with mm-hmm. media. I mean that's the story that should be told, but it is one that is of humanity. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is my my uh, so I come from the private sector um, before as we talked about my impression of what a state employee w- was or is was completely ignorant mm-hmm. um, I did not have state experience government experience prior to this and I had this this mental um, understanding <clears throat> excuse me that a, a state employee was somebody who was disengaged from the work that they're doing, that they're just one side mm-hmm. of a transaction. And in some places that's true, yeah. but but in this agency, we have true heroes that work here. And I see them every day. I'm on the call phone with them mm-hmm. every day, Zoom meetings, in person. The work that happens here changes lives, mm-hmm. and the people who are doing it are here for a reason. And that yeah. is so inspiring. I get out of bed every day because of the opportunities that we have to change and the team that is here to help change them. Right. And and to, again, to that point, like the it starts from within, right? The culture that you've got to have here and everything that goes on and just the leadership roles that are here. And, and you know, one of the stats I saw was that there's 16 you know, females in leadership roles, right? On the director's Absolutely. board and stuff like that. And like with everything going on at current time, which again, like I've had said this on the podcast, I don't know why it's taken so long for this to happen. You know, OSU just announced their first female president. Who is right? fantastic. going to be amazing. Dr. Shrum is wonderful. Right. Yeah. And, and, and just the stats around having women in leadership positions speak for themselves. But, you know, you've got old boys and old time and, you know, just... Right. Sure. The history of this agency and other yeah. agencies was definitely a hierarchical, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, masculine. I mean, men everywhere. Yeah. And um, so, to your point, we have 16 of our 25 on the exec team are women. Uh, our the highest team is our what we call the chief team, and four mm-hmm. out of six are women. 
Um, the second highest is our Chief Plus team, and that's 10 out of 13. I mean, it is. Yeah. We are female-dominated, and um, I would tell you we have, without a doubt, the, sorry to all those other organizations out there, but we have the best leadership team in this, in the state of Oklahoma, government or not. Yeah. And uh, I'm super proud of the people that I serve mm-hmm. alongside. And in, like, you know, the, the things that you do on the day-to-day basis, right, and the roles that DHS has, it's – I mean, you need a mother, right? You need like a, fa- a mother figure, or a father figure in that. And I mean, if you have women on the board, they, they they've done that. They're in, for the most part, they're certainly lives, more in right? tune to the right. needs of our workforce, yeah. for sure. Uh, so we have sixty three hundred employees in ninety two locations across the state. Wow, I didn't know that. That's yeah, a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. We're the eighth largest employer in the state of Oklahoma, yeah. the largest um, state agency by workforce. And so you have to have people who are who are um, in tune mm-hmm. with um, with the workforce. That, and we are disproportionate to women as well in the workforce. So you have to have people who are who are mindful of that, but. But by characterizing them, uh, this work or this leadership team, um, just through that lens is unfair because um, I am. I can absolutely tell you in all of the positions I've been in, we have, um, regardless of gender, we have the best people. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there are so many people who say, "Well, I just want to hire the best person." Um, we have absolutely hired the best people. It just so yeah. happens that 16 of 25 on the exec team are women, and they mm-hmm. are tremendous leaders. So yeah. um, I was honored to be able to just participate in in uh, honoring them for International Women's Day, uh, yeah. which is the profiles that we set up. Yeah. Uh, so foster care is obviously a huge mm-hmm. part of, of what you guys do and, and a huge part of just, you know, the need for it and the help about it. What kind of... I mean, because for me, when I grew up, right, I had a friend of mine whose who's family, they were foster parents, and, you know, they had five or six kids in the house at all times, and, and it was always fun. We always wanted to hang out, and it was just a cool environment to be around. And I don't know – I know one family, a friend of mine here, who who is a foster family, foster parent. But I guess there's just – there's a lot of stigmas around here, and it's too much work, blah, blah, blah. And there's like – I think a lot of people – friends that I know, they're, a lot of them are faith-based. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're friends from church, and, and they, they're a special type of people, right? But I think the general public probably thinks that it's too much work for me. I don't want to get into it. There's a lot. That's a lot of stigma to battle, isn't it? It's sure, hard, absolutely. It's hard to kind of cross that bridge, I guess. Absolutely. So to your point, we run the child we- child welfare system for the state of Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. um, stand in the and the child welfare system really is intended to protect kids and to stand in the gap for uh, for families as they rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it is um, it is a real calling. Um, it is. Um, true service, but it is also one that is extremely rewarding. Um, you, the, the, if one of the things you're going to see us as an agency start to do is really reframe what what fostering is, mm. to make sure that people know that yes, it is a commitment because you are serving a child 24 hours a day mm-hmm. for a while. Um, but it is a it is intended if if it's if we're successful to be somewhat temporary, right? Like. This, this isn't a an adoption vehicle mm-hmm. where it's the rest of the child's life. If we're do, doing our job, it's it's promoting reunification. So yeah. when a child, when we do have to intervene and 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 move a child from their biological home, uh, not only does that foster parent step in, but we step in for the biological home and provide services there mm-hmm. to get that family back to where that child can go home. Yeah, you know, we um, that's the the primary goal for the work that we do is reuniting um, kids with their biological yeah. families. How I guess you know without these families, it you know you 
you have to have these families, right, to, to, to have a need as, you know, to, to be able to put them in somewhere first, right, before you can help back home. I mean, obviously, it's extremely important to recruit families, right, because it's, you've got to be out there and you've got to, it is, you're right, recruitment's, I guess, the word for it, because mm-hmm. you, people just don't come to you and say, I want to be a foster parent. That's right. How, you know, obviously it's extremely important, but how, what's the process of that and trying to get out there and, you know, I guess doing a bunch of ads, you know, sure. from someone who's trying to recruit for work, I guess, it would be, you know, Facebook ads and Instagram and trying to get people out there. How, how so does that work in the modern age? We are close to starting those yeah. sorts of um, strategies, just contemporary um, marketing tools. Um, it is recruiting just like anything else. Um, and really what's incredible about it is is we're recruiting to a continuum. Mm-hmm. It isn't just the traditional foster families that you think about. It is a full breadth of services that we need to build, or we're, we yeah, have, yeah. but we need to continue to expand. And um, for me, that is, we have our traditional foster care platform, which is mm-hmm. what most people think about when they think about foster care is, you know, uh, we've got a three-year-old and and he needs a placement, you know, while we're working with that family. But um, as our child welfare systems um, evolve over time and get better, we have reduced the number of kids in foster care dramatically over the Mm -hmm. last few years. And now um, the kids that we're serving, um, so many of them have needs that are beyond just the typical foster care needs, right? Like a safe home and a bed to sleep in and food and, you know, a ride to school um, and emotional support. It is is definitely therapeutic needs. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we're building a full continuum that's starts with just basic, you know, again, foster all the way through um, three different levels. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to talk a little bit here in a second about therapeutic foster care, but the second one is enhanced foster care. Then the the middle there is therapeutic foster care. And then the mm-hmm. last is, is intensive treatment foster care. And with each of those, we sort of step up the resources that are, are necessary and provided to yeah. families so that they can adequately be, we can support them in adequately serving mm-hmm. uh, the kids that are in their home. So that's everything from you know, in some cases, there are behavioral health needs that we solve for and provide counseling. Um, there's um, crisis response or respite care, right. which is critically important. Our foster families, you know, need a date night sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, just being able to provide those um, training around trauma-informed care, which is so much of the sort of the public narrative now is, is trauma-informed care, which right. is super important in the science of hope. Our our agency is deep in the science of hope. And uh, so so this, th- this idea of therapeutic foster care really does a allow for us to have a mechanism to Mm -hmm. truly support these families. And so they know they're not in it alone. Uh, We are here along their side providing the resources that they need to be successful. Yeah. So you just said therapeutic foster care. Dive into that because Mm -hmm. that's something that I definitely don't know about and I'm sure people listening are the same too. Yeah. Us about that. Ultimately, it is <clears throat> as we as we sh- um, shrink the the um, the foster care system mm-hmm. or the child welfare system, um, it, it elevates the needs of some kids. Which um, you know, kids in these they all come from unique backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them are are you know, most of them are pretty challenged backgrounds, um, and which is why they're you know they're in the need of a of a therapeutic foster home to mm-hmm. begin with. But but um, uh, primarily those are related to mental and behavioral health um, mm-hmm. issues that have arisen from the trauma uh, created by their backgrounds. And yeah. so um, these are these are kids who just have additional needs. And therapeutic foster care is a, a platform that we have developed that um, is is there to serve those families so that those uh, moms and foster care families can support 
um, those kids in the way that they need gotcha. so that they can be successful um, adults and yeah. can move beyond the the experiences that they've had in their lives. So yeah. um, it's a it's just another level as a, a part of that full continuum mm-hmm. of service to our kids in foster care. Right. And you mentioned the science of hope. I mean, that's obviously learning and, and doing the research and that the way that that works to help you find foster families too, right? Yeah. So um, this is, so the science of hope is transformational. If uh, there, uh, some of your listeners may uh, be familiar with the adverse childhood experience survey uh, study out of San, uh, San Diego. And if they're not, they should engage in a, a video or a documentary called Resilience. Uh, I would encourage it. It really helps us to understand that we are all just a product of the experiences we've had in our lives. And um, the, the common uh, terminology is that we all have an ACE score, ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it's zero to 10. And uh, those experiences add up. That's, those are experiences like uh, being in a home with a substance-involved parent or having a parent in prison or being a, a victim of or um, uh, the home having domestic abuse, abuse issues, domestic violence. And so um, everybody has their own score, and you can take your, your online score. Um, but we believe the science of hope, uh, and uh, which is which is not a wish. A wish is you know I believe that tomorrow can be better than today. But but the hope is the belief that tomorrow can be better t- than today, and I can do something about it. So mm-hmm. it includes the creation of goals and pathways to get me to my goal. Yeah. And we believe that we as an agency, and specifically these foster families that we're talking about, people who who stand in the gap for kids when they're in need, that they are a pathway for those kids mm-hmm. to have hope moving forward and to combat the high A scores that are related to the childhood trauma that they, that they have experienced. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, when you get get into that and you really start to understand this, the sciences around these things, um, it just all makes sense. And it gives us something that we can do as as just people in the community mm-hmm. to be a part of the solution for these kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been here, uh, you said 22 months. That's right. Uh, I'm sure, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's you're just a footprint, right? But we're moving sure. in the right direction. Uh, what are the things, I guess, in the last 22 months that have stood out to you that you guys are real happy with that, you know, you and the team and everyone, you know, the 6,300 people that work for DHS that, that are proud to say, you know, we, we've done some awesome things. Anything that stands out? Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, the first that comes to mind is really the the primary strategy when I walked in, which was um, creating this, this culture that was built around the human. It's human-centered design. And so we are starting to rethink, and more than starting, we are, we have rethought and we're rebuilding the systems and processes that we operate around the person at the end of the service. So instead of working to perpetuate our government agency or even to some degree our workforce, which mm-hmm. are critically important, we are here to serve our customer, the, the, the person at the end of the service. And so we're rebuilding our agency around that. Um, the other thing that really comes to mind is this concept, well, there's two more. One that is this concept around uh, finding our true north. And we as an agency sat down right when I came and, and we, we worked through this process for about 120 days where we sat down and said, what do we really do to serve our, the people that we're here to serve? Um, you know, not what's a process that happens in the building somewhere. It's like, why, where do we provide value? Mm-hmm. And so each of our divisions came up with three to five True North philosophies. And those are online, ourokdhs.org is the website. You can check those out. But our agency as a whole, our leadership team, came up with uh, eight executive leadership true north strategies. Mm-hmm. These are, I mean, these are guiding 
compass needles, the direction we're heading. One of them is becoming the largest ever hope-centered organization. We already are that. We measure hope. We've talked about hope a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second, which is critical, is removing systemic barriers that keep our customers from being successful. Those barriers exist everywhere. If you mm-hmm. talk to anybody on your podcast you've, you've talked to about, and they are a customer service or a community service organization, they recognize barriers around transportation and childcare and work, you know, employment barriers and tra- uh, technology barriers and all of those barriers that when you are somebody in need, you cannot navigate. You cannot be expected to navigate those successfully. Honestly, I'm the director of DHS, yeah. and sometimes I can't figure out how to navigate some of these systems that we operate. So how can we expect somebody in need to navigate those systems? So that's number two. Number three is becoming an elite employer, uh, which is just critical for us. I believe that if you have a passion to serve your community, the Department of Human Services is the place you should want, to, the only place you should want to work. And we're getting there. Our workforce is super committed, and I'm passionate about, about building an agency to serve yeah. them. Uh, number four is becoming a, efficient, a model of efficiency, effectiveness, and transparency, operating from uh, free from uh, or very little fraud, waste, or abuse. So that's uh, that's number four. Number five is a space becoming a space of innovation. That means a national thought leader and program innovator, and we're getting there, but it also means being a self-correcting organization. Got so you. if something happens, it is a safe place to raise your hand and say there's a problem here. And that is critical in an organization that serves uh, 1.5 million Oklahomans this year. We'll serve a third of the state's wow. population through this agency. So there has to be a true culture of improvement uh, for the people we serve. Yeah. Number six is what we're doing right now, and that's telling our story. You know, I've mentioned it earlier that my impression of this agency two years ago was what I saw in the news, mm-hmm. and now I know that that's, a, that's 180 degrees wrong, that, that for every bad story, there are a thousand incredible stories that exist in this agency, and we have just stunk at telling those stories. Number seven is building a culture of equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. We have an opportunity that I believe no other organization in the state of Oklahoma has. Mm -hmm. We have the eighth largest workforce with 6,300 employees. We have 92 locations, and we serve a third of the state's population, a million and a half Oklahomans. If you're going to make true systemic change, this is the place to do it, and we are doing it. Um, And then the last number eight is is moving upstream to solve problems for families before they become in crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the place where we look at – so every year we invent, we get about 80,000 calls of child abuse and neglect. 80,000 calls a year is an incredible number. It's huge. Um, but it's important to know that 90% of those calls are um, neglect, not abuse, and 70% of those are related to poverty. Mm-hmm. So if we can move upstream and solve problems for families before they become in crisis, they will never meet our child welfare system. And that's the direction that we're really heading – is working to solve for poverty. Yeah. So um, those are the eight executive leadership true norths. We live by those. They are not corporate speak. Uh, I my team can can share, can can confirm yeah. that when we have a budget meeting or whatever we talk about, everything ties back to our true north in some way. So that to me, that's that is one of the things I'm the most proud of in the in the mm-hmm. last 22 months is is building this culture around priorities that we say are important to us in the in, through the lens of what how we serve our communities. Yeah, I I, I mean I'm like buzzed listening to you speak about There's this because I can there, tell how passionate you are about it, and <laughs> yeah. I understand. I mean I just see it like it's you know and. Okay, people listening might not see it, but if you want to watch it, there's there'll be a video of it on on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube that you can go to. But you know, it's this isn't just a job for you, and I can tell that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's 
it's it's an opportunity to make serious change. Yeah, if you know? if you want to make change, mm-hmm. this is to me. Now there are people who say there are other opportunities. Well, this is the place you you, you want to be. Yeah, is, is being here at the Department of Human Services. So this is not intended to be a recruiting uh, <laughs> pitch, but yeah. if you want to serve your community, this is the place. Right. Uh, t- so uh, this can be a, this can be tough, right? But I, I I'm sure you know with the with the passion that you have for this that I can like, sense that you have, there are things that keep you up at night. What are the things that keep you up that just I mean not having enough hours in the day to do work sounds like one of them just from chatting sure. previously. But um, yeah, so there are a couple of things. <clears throat> uh, the 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 one immediately around that has sort of come to light over through COVID. And our agency, I'm so proud of the response of our agency in COVID. I just can't, I can't underscore that enough. Our team, our team stood up uh, when some other organizations, you know, sometimes stood down. Uh, our team was here to serve the community, and and they did not skip a beat. And uh, so I'm super proud of that. But one of them that's come up is um, we're we're moving to a a pretty full-time telework, remote work strategy as an agency. Uh, We learned a lot of things in the pandemic, and um, there was a lot of them around remote work. But one thing that keeps me up at night is we have teams within the agency who their support network is their office, right? And so as we move to remote work, we have to be extremely mindful of those teams, those are eight-person units in, in child welfare, where you make a difficult decision in the middle of the night. You're in, I don't know, Woodward, Oklahoma, and you've seen something that is um, extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, a child is safe, and you've done your job, and, and you're proud of that, but, you, but you, you traditionally would go back to the office the next morning, and you would debrief, and you would make decisions with that person next to you. Um, and that's your support network. And so um, we just have to be really mindful. And we're not going to eliminate that. It's just that when you when you start to lean towards remote work versus in-person work, you have to make sure that you maintain those personal bonds so that um, there's a support network for our workforce. So that's one thing that keeps me up at night. Um, the other one is... Um, of course, just the the unknown. Like we're doing so many really great things, and in all of those true norths, um, I can talk for an hour about each one of those and the and the actual progress we're making on them. Um, but it keeps me up, and then it gets me up early. Is um, there's all like any time that you're delayed in executing on those, there's a child that isn't served or a family that isn't served by it. And um, that's hard. That is really hard. And so that my team, they give they give me a hard time. And and we're sort of being thought about as this agency that runs so fast and so hard. And it's really because if we don't do it today and we don't do it right now, like we go to bed and there's a child that something's happening. You know, they're hungry, they're homeless, or whatever's happening. And I mean that if that doesn't fire you up, you're in the wrong spot. Yeah. So uh, that's that's it. Uh, probably the number one is um, is just boy, we're just not as fast as we're running. We're not fast running fast mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, and and I mean for the future, like going forward, you know, there, there are goals to be set, and there are points along the road to climb, you know, ladders and climbing, and just just getting to the end goal, right? And each step by step, I guess. For, for this year, you know, what I guess, what, what stands out for you as a goal this year that's attainable? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so <clears throat> around our multi, uh, so around uh, executive leadership True North number two, like I told you, everything goes back to yeah. uh, to our True North. But number two is removing systemic barriers that keep our customers from being successful. And around that, we have built a multi-channel embedded worker strategy. And the idea is to take our people out of those 92 buildings, you know, where we've let the house plants grow around us and we're chained to our cubicles and there's glass between us and the person we're serving and embed ourselves in the community. Like we are leaving our offices and we are now going to be working at the homeless shelter and we're going to be working at, we'll be embedded at schools. Mm -hmm. We've built a a series of social work teams that are now working in uh, police precincts with mental health professionals so that when a a law enforcement officer shows up at at a scene and a firearm is is not required, that 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 officer has a social work team to call that is deployed immediately to the ground. Mm -hmm. So we're embedding ourselves in the community. So we have 174 um, embedded workers today out of that 6,300 person workforce. Um, I have not yet thrown out a formal goal. But man, at some point soon, I want a zero on the other on the right side of that. I want close to 2000 embedded workers Mm -hmm. in our communities serving you know, where our customers are so that we're not forcing our customers to fall to this level of despair right. that's required to reach out to us. We are meeting them, we're moving upstream, and we're solving problems yeah. for families before they become in crisis. It's, uh, I mean, it, I can understand why you are so busy. Like when you, you know, recording, before we started recording, I said, How, what's a typical day like? And like, well, we have 15 meetings a day, uh, and there's never enough time in the day to do all these things, and you have to prioritize, right? But the good thing is there's always work for someone to do. There's always a need, and there's always a change to be made, and you are making a change and making a severe impact. I mean, and we have the best team in state government. Right. So it's me having meetings with them. I mean, they're meeting, they're, they're building strategies and plans, and uh, I cannot underscore enough how important um, the, having the right people um, work with you is. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So for people listening, how, you know, someone's listening to this and they're like, they just feel led and called to, to reach out, to help, to anything they can. What's the best way to reach out and get involved? So um, specifically around foster care, um, which is uh, sort of our biggest effort here and what we've been talking about the most today. But um, there, we've got a phone number and a website that I'll provide. Um, but So the number is 1-800-376-9729. And then you can also go to beaneighbor.org, um, and there's a uh, there's a way to engage uh, on that platform as well. So uh, those are the two easiest ways. Um, if you want to reach out to me, I mean, I'm on social media. I check it as much as I can, mm-hmm. and I'll connect you the right. But if you want to be involved and you want to be engaged and you're called to serve our community, I'll help. Yeah. So just come on. Uh, for everyone listening, I'll put the links to that down below, uh, so you can you know see that number and see Justin's social media. So so you know. You can go. The website was OK DHS, yeah, right? So we've got we've got a number of websites that people can reach out to. Uh, BeAneighbor.org is a great one. Uh, we have another one that's Our OK DHS, um, which is really the way that we bring the community voice into it. There's a button that says Raise Your Hand. So that's where all of our True North goals are listed. And if you have an idea on how we can serve better, or you do something in your community that uh, we should know about and we can lean into and partner with you to help achieve our joint vision, uh, there's that button that says Raise Your Hand. So click that and it'll walk you through a little form and we got people checking that all the time. So um, I I say it all the time. We serve um, a third of the state's population with 6,300 employees. The math does not work. Right. We need help. 
Um, we need partnership. And so um, that's a great way to reach out. Awesome. Well, mate, I appreciate your time, you know, coming coming in and, and just hanging out. And this is a killer podcast room that I want to have in my house one day. <laughs> um, you know, but just, just little changes and the things that you are, you know, investing in and, and obviously the podcast room with the media side of things to production. And, you know, we're looking out the window and you're going to have renovations and some great meeting places for people to come and, and hang out once, once it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me down here. And for everyone listening, I'll post all the links that Justin just mentioned down in the description. So you can go to that. Uh, raise a hand and help because the need is here. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at Oklahoma HOF. Also, huge shout out to RCB Bank for jumping on board to be a sponsor. RCB Bank's loan promotion is here for a limited time. Head into any of their 40 Oklahoma locations to get as low as 1.79 APR on your next car, boat, camper, or ATV. Apply online at rcbbank.com. RCB Bank, that's my bank. Rate and finance with approved credit. Restrictions apply and member SDIC. Huge shout out to my sponsors. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.